Welcome to episode 167 of Control the Controllables. And as always, it is such a pleasure to bring you Wimbledon previews. And I talked to you after day two at Wimbledon, which has already seen some of the top men's players have to withdraw as COVID is starting to hit. We've seen Serena Williams maybe play her last ever match at SW19. British tennis fans, already nine singles players through to the second round and Harriet Dart is still to play. It really is set up to be a fantastic two-week period and as always, such a, an amazing, amazing Grand Slam that brings us dramas it brings us the unknown, it brings us surprises, it brings us new players that we haven't seen before. And tomorrow, our panellists are all playing their first ever Wimbledon. When we looked into this, we thought what a nice way this would be to do this time, you know, to bring British players, players that have been to US college, players that are experiencing Wimbledon for the first time. And they didn't disappoint. We had a great conversation. But firstly, I just want to introduce you a little to our panellists. Many of you will know Sarah Borwell. She's been on the podcast before. Sarah was a top 100 doubles player, former British number one, top 200 singles player in the world. And has spent her last 15 years placing people into US college and making a massive difference to people's lives. And all five players that we have on our panel, Sarah did that with, whether it was US College or UK University. Julian Cash, formidable partnership with Henry Patton. They've made three finals in a row of the last three ATP Challenger events over the grass courts, winning two of them, both of them US College players, and bring an amazing insight to our show today. And then we've got the amazing partnership of Alicia Barnett and Olivia Nichols. Alicia went the route of the US College, Olivia of UK University, but they've come together to team up as they both break the top 100 in the world this year. And our last panellist, NCAA winner at NC State in the doubles event this year, and rightfully gets her wild card into Wimbledon with Sine Cartel and that is Nell Miller. And I'm going to pass you over to these panellists before my voice completely gives way. I do apologise. I am working hard to make sure my voice is back for our next guest next week. Enjoy Wimbledon. Enjoy this amazing episode. Here is our Wimbledon 2022 preview and my amazing panel. So a big welcome to all of our Wimbledon 2022 panellists. And I've managed to get myself some first timers, first time at Wimbledon for all apart from one older voice that you will hear who has mentored them through the last few years, whether it's US college, whether it's UK university. And, and here they all stand, I, I, I guess, collecting your first passes at Wimbledon around your neck. How much money do you get to spend on it these days, Julian? Well, 
it's not too bad. I, I'm used to it a little bit more, but uh, <laughs> getting uh, 87 pounds a day, which is which is not bad. But I'm inflation. Yeah, it's uh, it's not cheap up there. I'm trying to think the whole coaching staff. So, so Alicia, what does 87 pound get you at Wimbledon? Um, just one bowl of pasta these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really good bowl of pasta, to be fair. <laughs> no, it's um, it's pretty good. Like you don't go hungry, that's for sure. And and I guess having you guys on and you know Sarah Ball while at Tennis Smart, who I've worked with for many years and. She used to beat me when we were eight years old as well. You know, it's, it's a re- I think it's a really nice story to be able to say, this is what the other people are doing. You know, we all hear of Igor Sviontek. We all hear of Novak Djokovic. But the sport is full of people that have been going at it for years and have gone through the whole, I'm just going to college route that so many parents and players saying. But you're not just going to college. You went to college and you developed your games. You developed your personalities. You got college degrees, I hope, most of you. And now here you are moving moving into it. So how does that feel now? You know, you've, you've gone through so much to get to this point. How does it feel that now it feels like you're walking onto the biggest stage? Uh, I mean, it's pretty crazy because, I mean, I still have to go back to college after this. I'm still going back. Unless <laughs> uh, you win it. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, but it's pretty, it's pretty wild experience having everything flipped on its head so fast, to be honest. And you, you're the NCAA champion that I guess anyone that doesn't know US college doesn't really know that I get asked that a lot. What does NCAA mean? You know, I did go to college, so I know it's an incredible, incredible achievement, but it's not normally an achievement that is recognized back in the UK. You know, back when I played, you won the NCAAs, you got a wild card at the US Open. It then changed to being if you were American. And and now, you know, you've done that and come back. Were you expecting it? Is that when you won the event, did you think, wow, I could could get my opportunity at Wimbledon now? Or is it all come as a bit of a surprise? Um, I mean, it was kind of a bit in the back of my head, like, oh, maybe. And then I was like, wait, my doubles partner's American, so she'll get the US one and I'll just kind of go back to state and be like, okay, <laughs> here we go. But I got a phone call and we had some chats, so it worked out pretty well for us. And does she get a wild card then? Uh, yes, I believe so. With who? Uh, that I don't know. I believe that's up to her or the USTA. And how, how well do you get on with this girl if it's up to her? Is she taking backhanders or with my doubles? But oh I'm yeah. I get on very I get on very well with uh, Jada is her name. Yeah. Um I'm not sure who she's gonna play with, to be honest, because she's left-handed, so she could switch it up and decide to go for the other side. So it could be anyone's game, to be honest. And bringing you in now, Henry. A little birdie, when I looked into it, told me that your UTR was 11.2 before you went to US college, which is not a bad level. But you, but you also went to my college roommate, Tom Hand, looked after you for four years. And I remember Tom reaching out to me and saying a lot of good words about you early on. But, but I guess what I'm trying to get at, what would your message be to 
these juniors that are that are going thinking oh, I'm going to maybe not the top college in America or maybe not the top university in the UK and here you are those years later you've had the chance to develop you've had the chance to mature what would your message be to everybody um well I think I'm only one example of that as well I mean there are so many examples of people that have gone to a million different colleges and are where where I am now or even better and yeah it's just about what you make of it really um I mean I went there kind of with an open mind obviously Tom was my coach which which was the luckiest thing ever um you you know him well and yeah it's just about what you make of it I mean you just take your opportunities and and go for it did you want to be a professional player when you went to college no, I mean, I wasn't even on my radar, to be honest. Um, it was only, to be honest, when I finished college, I didn't even really know that I wanted to be a professional player. But again, just took 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 my opportunities when when they were given to me. Um, kind of just rode the wave and, and yeah, now we're here. So it feels pretty good. And in terms of, in terms of that from a mentality and anybody, please jump into this question. What I see is those that go to college tend to have a different perspective. You know, when, when you go and you play professional tennis at the age of 18, you feel like the world's on your shoulders. If you're not a Carlos Alcaraz, if you're not players that have are already at that, that level, it can be quite a dark, lonely place at that age. Whereas it feels to me like college players go get their degrees broaden their horizons, their networks, which you are physically, emotionally, all of those things, and, and then give you a little bit more longevity in the sport. I don't know if anyone's got any comments on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go to college uh, when, I, when I first went. And like Sarah kind of helped me decide that it was a platform to, to still go pro, which was my, my goal at a younger age. And I think the biggest thing for me was was honestly getting out of the house, uh, having a chance to to not live at home. Started like truly understanding uh, what it was like to work hard, what it was like to be independent. Uh, I was also fortunate to be at a school that had a lot of uh, international players on the team, so so many cultures mixed into one, which has helped me massively um, since since turning pro. Constantly sharing rooms with with people I don't know from from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, so for me, it was a was a massive learning curve. I grew up very, very quickly, and and experiencing all those different things has has helped me massively go on the tour and and kind of be used to a lot of it already, and and be quite comfortable in my own skin in in that type of environment. And and Julian, that on that, when I look at all of you guys and look at junior careers, you were top seventy in the world as a junior. I believe had wins over Berrettini tier four during a Wimbledon junior campaign, you know, so you were, you were someone that probably that choice was difficult, you know, somebody that maybe doesn't have that pedigree of a junior career. It, it then becomes, okay, well, that's my route, you know? So how, how did you come to that decision and how hard was that decision to make? And I guess on the back of that, what advice would you give to, a top 100 junior in the world that's looking to make that decision over the next 6, 12, 18 months? 
I mean, the biggest thing for me at the start was was awareness. Uh, I honestly didn't know enough about college. So when I was like 15, 16, it, it wasn't even on the radar just because I didn't know what college could provide. Um, I saw it, as I think a lot of people do, as kind of a way to maybe fade out your career. Like you don't want to quit at 18. So you go there, get a degree, have some fun playing tennis. Um, and then as some guys were sort of graduating when I was like 16, 17, started to see the level of them coming out. And, and along with that, coaches started to message me and I kind of got into that world uh, quite quickly, to be honest. Um, but I think it's, it's really, I don't know, it's, it's exciting uh, to go there. I think for me, I, I'd been in education my whole life. That had been a priority for me. Uh, it was big for my family. They always wanted to make sure that education was at the forefront and and if sport could follow then it, it did um and I kind of took those values and and obviously financially it makes a massive difference I'd seen a few guys go on tour straight away and they'd burn out at like quite a young age to be honest it's happened a lot over the years yeah it's it's not easy um I think everyone assumes they're going to go on tour especially if they have had a, a good junior career and think it's all going to flourish and be amazing straight away uh, and the reality is it, it's not that simple so, yeah, it just kind of, I think the my family helped me make the decision massively because I, I wasn't that into school, but I did start to understand the value as I got closer to going to university. Um, and, and that along with, with yeah, seeing, seeing some other guys quitting that I was quite surprised about, um, for me, it ended up becoming quite an easy decision. The, the one thing that hits me as well, though, Julian, when you say that is the average amount of time playing on the tour is six or seven years. And, and I just think, do, do people want to have that time 18 to 24? Or, or do people want to have that time 22 to 29? You know, and I think that's often quite a big question. And, and I guess my, my go-to on it is, if you're not making final winning futures already, then actually you're going to be in that at that level for quite a few years. So you'd be better off developing yourself in all the different areas to, to then have that opportunity. And I want to bring you in, Olivia, at this point, because you're our UK university girl. And, you know, there's obviously US college, I think, is now certainly got to the point where it gets the respect that it deserves, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of statistics. I think I heard there's like 31 players in Wimbledon qualifying this year from US College. You often see, certainly in the doubles events, the last 16 of the men's and the women's, you see such a high percentage that are from US College. We're starting to see on the women's side, Jennifer Brady, you know, we've had Collins, Danielle Collins, you know, obviously on the men's side, Cameron Norrie flying the British flag and the US College flag. Kevin Anderson, mm -hmm. finalist at Wimbledon. But UK University, I don't think has that respect yet. I think there's, there's been certainly on the inside of the sport, we see it, that there has been some. There's probably a little bit of, does Johnny O'Mara really go to Sterling University? Does Lloyd Glassball really go to Loughborough University? I think we, we have to also be realistic that it's not re that's not the case, but you have legitimately gone through that process. So, so tell us about, I guess, your journey through the UK university. Yeah, so I guess 
um, my main reason to go to Loughborough wasn't necessarily for tennis. It was more for the course. Um, similar to Henry, I wasn't thinking about going professional after my degree. It was it was more about another stepping stone towards maybe a career in sport. But it just so happened that in that time, I progressed really well. And yeah, when I finished, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. But I think I wouldn't necessarily like to say that the the level of university tennis in the UK is as good as the US, because to be honest, I, I don't think it is. But the advantage is that you can play all the British ITFs. And that that for me was the biggest thing, because that actually gave me a bit of a taste for it and also a realisation that, oh, OK, I've just like gone to a 25k in Bath and and won it it's like okay if I can do that whilst I'm still at university then then maybe there's there's a career here for me afterwards and and that's how my journey kind of panned out and and I guess management of expectation isn't it as well you know that's one thing that's coming through from all of you that that maybe your expectation wasn't I have to be a professional tennis player at the very top and allows you then the mentality to be able to almost find your way through it. And Sarah, Sarah Ball, I've got to bring you in because you sat there, you look like a proud mum, auntie, cousin, try not to insult you too much with your age. Um, um, It's got to be a real proud moment for you, you know, when you've, you've set out with your vision of what you wanted to do, you know, and, and, and make a big difference to British tennis in the first instance of giving people the opportunity to, to go further with their tennis, to, to educate, to bring awareness to, to what's out there and the, and the incredible environments. And now here you are sitting, and I know it's not the only five, but you're sitting here with five players that maybe three, four, five years ago, we wouldn't be talking about as main draw, Wimbledon players, the greatest sporting event in the world. So how, how are you feeling about it all? It's it's honestly amazing. Like in 2011, when I kind of presented all the pathways and and I just figured if if myself and Ken Skupski, we could all make Wimbledon, a girl from Middlesbrough who grew up and went to normal school and did A-levels, like we're losing a lot of players who potentially could be a Ken Skupski, a Dan Kiernan, a Sarah Borwell. So to see it eleven years later, <laughs> to see it eleven years later, and just how amazing all of these plays have done, and they've all come from similar backgrounds with full time education, and they've had so many hurdles and battles, and they've made it onto the biggest stage in the world. is it, It's absolutely amazing. So I'm I'm proud of all of them. It and and the nice thing is is that they're true role models for the younger generation because we can access these players like a 12 year old can look up and see Julian and go and chat to Julian at the training base or go and see Henry and and that's what's so good about it I think that's actually a massive um thing for me was I saw players like Sam Murray um go through the whole system and she actually went to the same university as me and I remember thinking she just graduated and she was on centre court at Wimbledon. And that was just a massive moment in 
for me. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, well, if Sam Murray can do econ at Northwestern and then go play professional tennis, then why can't I? And it may have taken a few years, but like just seeing all these other players go through these different pathways is just, it is inspiring as cheesy as it sounds, but you have like these amazing role models and they're doing stuff that if they can do it, why can't you? So. And relatable, isn't it? I think it's the relatability. Like who, who relates in all honesty to Serena Williams? You know, she's, is Serena Williams a role model? I'm not sure she is because she's untouchable. You know, a young, a young kid, maybe young, young, but when you're 14, 15, you think, well, she's won 23 Grand Slams. I can't, I can't do that. You know, she's got all of these, all of these things, you know, Carlos Alcaraz, age 18, top five in the world. It's a bit too untouchable. Whereas when you've got people that are a bit closer to you and it, and it then starts to feel like it's somewhat achievable. And I think that's what, I don't know what you, now. what year are you in at college? How many years have you done? Oh, I am a senior now. Yeah. The I'm pandemic four year, five year thing. I've been at college a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've done, I've done four years, but I got a year back for my, for the COVID year. So I have one more year left at NC State and yeah. You're like the Scott Duncan of US college. Just keep, <laughs> just keep, just keep on, just keep on going. But you must have seen so many players that have been to college, you've played against, you've watched and then they've gone on to the pro tour through a pathway that you've gone. And that's got to open your eyes to that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's like a massive thing over in... I've I've been to two colleges now. I first went to Texas Tech and then I transferred to NC State. And just the number, like the number of people you see, I mean, I've definitely been beaten pretty heavily, especially by some of them as well. Um, but you see people go to these colleges and then they come out the other side winning like massive tournaments and being in the qualifying of Wimbledon like I know several people that are currently in the qualifying of Wimbledon who used to go to college that's quite inspiring I think for anyone because anyone can do it then you don't have to go to the best colleges out there you can go to a college that just builds I think it's interesting as well because I was talking to Dan about this before how like Dan was obviously one of the top Brits, Julian was as well. But for me, I never had dreams of going pro. It didn't even enter my mind that I would be anywhere good enough to do that. I just, each each kind of hurdle in life, I just kept going along. And I ended up at university because someone knew someone who had a connection at Rice University. And then when I was finishing college at Nationals, Oh, in Hamburg at UNLV, the head coach there was like, oh, what are you doing? Are you going to go pro? And I was like, I'd never even really thought about it. And he goes, well, come and base yourself in Las Vegas and we'll, we'll help support you going pro. So that's basically how I began. And it's interesting how all of you, it's kind of a similar thing. It's a lot of juniors I meet when they're 10, their whole dream is going pro when in reality, it might be nice to have a dream of going to a British university, American university, which is attainable and it's not anxiety ridden. And then I can be the next Henry or Julian or Liv or Alicia. I think um, that was a big, 
thing for me as well because you helped me get to the college that I wanted to go to and you managed to find me a university that could like nurture my game and develop me as like a player and a person and that was like really important to me and my family and I don't think I would have been cut out for the pro circuit whatsoever like the first three months of college I was so homesick because I'd never traveled away apart from like with my dad um so being away from home and being on the road with like no other people from England was really tough to adjust to but I had coaches that you knew really well that had also gone to they were British and they'd gone to American uni and they'd also won NCA doubles crazy um and they really nurtured my game so that actually really helped me so when I finished university I, I knew I didn't I knew I wasn't going to be world number one or anything at that point um but I wanted to play at Wimbledon and now a few years down the road that's actually a dream that is going to come true in a few, few days so um it's just crazy how these things happen it's funny as well I remember checking in with you in your first uh fall it was September and you were just like I'm just so busy. I don't have any time to do anything. Like I'm finding it quite overwhelming. And I was like, you'll get to grips with the classes. Don't worry. And you were like, class hasn't even started yet. And I can't, <laughs> I can't fit everything in. And, and that's yeah, the beauty of college. The time management skills you get of being able to structure your day and do everything very well. All of you, it, the first semester is brutal. I cried to my mum every night. Because well, I was at Rice and couldn't really keep up with the academics, but I cried every night to my mum because it was so difficult and overwhelming. But that's something that you just get through, and you end up being better because of it. There's three words I have in my head from just listening to you guys. One is normal. The tennis world isn't normal. You know, we uh, are surrounded by a lot of abnormality. If we're being honest, from you know quite a young age, yet you guys have chosen a more normal route, which seems to be a lot healthier, I would imagine, in, in the long run. Is that something that's motivated you, Olivia, to, to stay a bit more in a no, normal sort of world? Or are you not in a normal world? I don't know. My doubles partner might have something to say about that. Uh, no. Um... Definitely. Um, I've always been like a bit of a home girl as well, like big Norwich City fan, dare I say it, like season tickets. So any opportunity, we'd like to go watch football, go home, be with family and friends away from tennis. Um, and yeah, I think it is important to do that because sometimes the the tennis world can be very consuming and me and Lissy always make sure that when we go away on our trips, we'll have at least, you know, if it's going to be like a long stint of tournaments, uh, we'll make sure that at least one day in that week is just spent, you know, going and having a look around the town or the city that we're in or just getting away from tennis because it can just, um, yeah, it can be a bit overwhelming, consuming if you spend 24-7 in that environment. But that's normal. The, that's the, normal but honestly you speak to a lot of these girls and it's abnormal like, oh, for tennis abnormal for tennis because yeah. you'll be in these incredible places and you're like oh have you gone into the town or have you had a look around and they're like they're, they just say that they they don't want to they want to go back to their rooms and watch netflix and chill and 
it just seems crazy to us that they they can go to all these amazing places and not actually see them they're just in their hotel rooms all the time that's the emotional maturity as well isn't it that's the you're not going to get many 17 18 year olds that are rocking it to Heraklion Greece and saying let's rent a car and go and see the little towns around the area you know and that's that's yeah, the, that's, that's the bit isn't it that's the that's the bit that I think you guys and we're here to celebrate and you guys are here to to showcase that route that that actually you can you can live a somewhat normal life in this sport you know and 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 still and still get to the the biggest event in the world however my next word that's in my head i go back 2004 was my first wimbledon and i think i was satisfied that i was playing at wimbledon you know i was satisfied to have the thing around my neck satisfied to be able to get like four muffins at the end of the day left on my left on my 80 it wasn't 87 quid at the time no. um, I, funny i remember seeing the brian brothers every night getting like seven muffins packs of sweets and i was like you're like multi-millionaires you tight bastards like what are you doing like <laughs> you don't have to spend every penny but but i remember having just this feeling of like um just taking it all in and and i actually found myself serving for the first set six five in the tie break and hit a serve about 22 mile an hour second serve and Dominic Abati just smacked it past me kind of laughing at me but it was almost like I woke up at that moment but I was kind of satisfied with the experience and it was Toby Smith actually I'm sure you guys know Toby Toby had a day talks about it he I don't know the exact word he used but he did it with Johnny O'Mara and Scott Clayton and he said, let's, uh, I think he called it a bunny day. He said, let's have, <laughs> he said, so my advice to you guys is have a bunny afternoon or a bunny morning where you we are. We had it yesterday. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Absolute tourist, pictures everywhere, you know, taking it all in, do all of that. And then I guess you're not going to admit it if you do have that feeling. So it's more probably something that I'm saying that might might get something back, Sarah. You might have something to say on this, but don't be satisfied because there's there's a hell of a lot of opportunity there. Don't set barriers, you know, because actually first round of Wimbledon, 64 draw, 128 players. It could be just like a 100K event. could be just like, you know, events that you guys have played lots of. It's funny you say that. Like when I when I played in juniors, uh, I definitely was satisfied. If I'm honest, I actually I qualified my first year, and I felt like I had achieved basically everything. Uh, and it didn't take me long on the match court to realise that I was actually only in the first round. Um, so it was yeah, and and to be honest, along with that, the nerves that that came in was something that I was nowhere near ready for. I honestly still haven't experienced anything quite like it. And, and I was in the junior event. So I think what you said about the bunny day is a great thing. I think to like normalize the venue, um, you know, when, when someone goes, go pick the balls up from match court 14, like just being comfortable knowing where things are and, and all that stuff can, can certainly help with that side. Cause it's something that is very difficult to prepare for. Um, I could hardly serve in the warm-up for my first round, let alone the first point of the match. So 
yeah, I, I think if you can control anything that you can, it, that's one of the few things that, that can help kind of settle it down and, and make you used to, to being at the event. And we're lucky that we're, we're here early. Um, you know, most of us have been up there the last couple of days. So we, we're actually going to get a, a full week in the grounds on the courts, practicing and, and getting used to everything. Just don't what- spend all day there like I used to. And at my first Wimbledon, I didn't have my, but well, I had 14 bunny days. I was very excited <laughs> about being there. And I, I spent literally all day there. And five years later, when you start doing professionally and you go home and you sit at home and put your feet up, I realized how I was doing it incorrectly at the beginning, but it was fun. Gone, Alicia. I think if uh, if Liv could move into Wimbledon, she would. I didn't <laughs> have any just got home. <laughs> She's been there all day. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think where it's a little bit different, and this moves on to the bit where I'm going to big you guys up. We've, you know, I think in the past, there has been British players that have got wild cards at 250 in the world and not necessarily had results at that level. You know, Nell, you're an NCAA champion. You know, you should absolutely shouldn't be, you know, NCAA champion is Grand Slam level tennis. You know, the boys, and I'll bring you two in at, at this moment because nobody knew Julian Cash and Henry Patton a few weeks ago, and then three massive events, you know, they're, they're, they're ATP level events in, in absolute every single way. You know, the number of top 100, top 50 wins you guys have had, you know, the confidence that you've got going into that. People are going to be looking at that draw thinking, shit, these are the guys that don't really lose, you know? So, so Henry, talk us through that. How's, how's the last few weeks been? You know, it's it's it seems to be from afar, just like you've this this incredible moment that I, I'm sure you guys are just taking taking in your stride. But talk us through the last last few weeks. Well, yeah, obviously very good. Um, anytime you're you're winning tennis matches, you're, you're pretty happy. Um, I mean, the, the last Don't few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Give us a smile. Come on. Yeah, the the last. <laughs> The last few weeks were, were, yeah, crazy. I mean, not least because I was actually in, in North Carolina the week or the two weeks prior to Surbiton, which was the first one. Um, <laughs> and we were, well, I'll get to that, Julian. Thank you. And we, we were kind of, you know, rushing around, kind of trying to figure out where we were going to play because we, we'd effectively been told that we, we weren't going to get in and, um, get in and play the challenges we weren't going to be given a wild card so we were kind of planning on playing in the u.s i went to the u.s for for a couple of weddings from all teammates um anyway so so i'd had a wedding on the saturday and got a message on sunday morning about 8 a.m saying yeah you're in surbiton it starts on tuesday or whatever it was and then yeah we flew over i think that the british weather kind of saved us a little bit there um we ended up starting on thursday i think and yeah, played Kozlov and Kudler in the first round, which already is like massive names that I've watched forever. Um, and yeah, I mean, then the rest of it was was kind of a blur, to be honest. We 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 only started playing probably a couple of months ago. We played those Nottingham Nottingham twenty five Ks. We agreed to finally play with each other. We've been planning it planning on it for a while. Um, did well there, 
um and yeah just just took our chance to to play the chalice um and yeah just took everything in our stride i mean we we, we both believe that in each other and that we have a good enough game to to compete with them it's obviously a different thing winning but but yeah obviously after the first week the confidence the confidence grew a lot and then yeah obviously after the after the last one in ilkley we we found out we were getting the wimby wild card so that was yeah that was a pretty special moment but but again we, we we're now kind of competing at that level um and yeah it's all it's all very exciting for the listeners at this point there's certain tennis slang that, that some of you listeners might not know. So I'll try and help you guys out. So Chally's oh, is <laughs> ATP Challenger events, just for, for those listening. And Wimby is 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 Wimbledon. So just, just for anybody, anybody that's listening. And then to bring again from that same kind of comment, Olivia and Alicia. And I know Olivia, we had a few text messages. We were waiting for you to come and train. Um, in Sota Grande when you were playing in Marbella. And I, I, I think you know, I've told you a couple of times now that you are absolutely always, for me, going to be a top 100 doubles player. But you girls have now done that. You've you've done it the hard way. You've gone and had to play at all of the events to, to legitimately get your rankings to that stage. So do you now feel like you belong at, at this level of event, Olivia? Yeah, absolutely. Um it's funny because Henry's story about how they weren't expecting to play Surbiton and they got the call up um, and then ended up winning it was kind of similar to our breakthrough event at the um, Leon WTA. Um, we were on the alternate list and we decided we were going to take a punt and go there and, you know, sign in, see if we get in. And if we didn't, we were going to go play a 25k um, as a backup in France. But Turned out we got in and then, yeah, made the final of our first ever WTA 250, which was was pretty good going, probably quite unheard of. I don't think anyone knew, knew us at the time. Um, but, yeah, certainly now, you know, we got a lot of confidence from that, you know, regularly playing WTAs now. And, yeah, I mean, even today, like, had a practice set with a couple of girls, top 20, um, and feeling, you know, comfortable on the court with them. So... I think, like you said, we've, we've certainly done it the hard way. We decided to just, you know, stick together. If it meant we weren't getting into tournaments, higher tournaments, we were fine about that. We, we just said that we're going to work our way right from the bottom all the way all the way to the top. And, yeah, we've managed to do that to this point. I have one more bit of advice that's jumped to me. Make sure you wear comfortable clothing. So I... I got the I got a new head contract. I was always I had all my I used to wear just my LSU, my college clothes. That's all I used to wear. And just before Wimbledon, head sent me some clothes. Well, I've never been great at fitting in clothes, you know, even when I was a even when I was a player. So we're playing against former Wimbledon champions at Orangi Park on, on the practice days. We're playing a practice set. And I got down for eye formation. And all I heard was, oh no! And my shorts, my shorts have gone. So that was my <laughs> first embarrassing moment. The second one, we were playing first round, and the tops were unbelievably tight. I just didn't feel comfortable. It wasn't what I was used to wearing. Two sets to love down. I actually pulled out of my bag an old LSU Reebok top that was 
I was big on me, but felt comfortable. I de-picked out the LSU so nobody could see the LSU on it. It was white. It passed It passed the Wimbledon colours. Two sets of love down, went into the bathroom, changed, got out of, sorry, head, if you're listening, got out of my head top, put on my old LSU top, and we won the next three sets. And I swear to God, it was that because, you know, there's nothing worse in, in the moment, this moment where you're all ready. And to go back to what you said, Julian, and it's the name of this podcast, Control the Controllables, a controllable is also what you're wearing, how you're feeling. You know, that's something that you might not even recognise if you're playing Nottingham Indoor 25K, but all of these things are magnified on, on the big stage that, that is Wimbledon. So as to bring you in, Nell, have you had, or are you able to take the prize money now? Um, I'm not going to lie. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> no, she, She's taking the £250 gift shop voucher, though, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll take your prize money now, if you want. So, so an honest, it's a serious question, because the, the rules have changed in college. So I'm bringing you in now, Sarah. The rules have changed around being able to be commercially sponsored advertise yeah. but can you still not take prize money could yeah. she wear could she wear a patch on her arm yeah she can wear patches um so the nli the new things coming through allows for all of that with like using your image but it still hasn't changed yet for taking prize money so for that side we're going to speak to NC State, but you're going to have to, Simon Earnshaw is going to have to have some big expenses as a coach and stuff to, uh, you can take enough to cover your expenses and everything. Isn't she staying yeah, in the Ritz? The Ritz, <laughs> yeah, the Ritz, and you're getting a, a Rolls Royce there every day. Yeah. So. Okay, so that's, that was going to be unbelievable. Uh, and and on, on the money, on the money, and Julian, to, my third word was resilience. And, you, Julian, again, I've not spent that much time with you, good friends with your coach, Barry. But I I have watched your journey from afar, and I think you've all got unbelievable resilience, what you've been through. I know you've all been in some difficult places. I remember you turning up to Heraklion, Greece, and saw Barry was looking forward to seeing him at dinner. He texted me, said Julian studies his ankle again in like the first like two hours that you were there, you know, so that the resilience that you've had to show and now this moment where whichever way people look at Wimbledon for, for the likes of us, and I would put myself and Sarah in it, the money that you are receiving at these events is absolutely monumental to the part of your career that you're in. So what does that mean and what will you now be able to do hopefully not just with first round prize money but however far you go what will that enable you to do with your tennis moving forward yeah I mean uh first of all on that note I'd like to say Barry got the flight home before me when I did my ankle uh, I was still, <laughs> so that was nice of him to take that one seat but um yeah look the, the prize money is massive uh it, it's no no secret that that tennis is expensive uh, and it's no secret that the money is is pretty poor, uh, quite low down. So there's a massive imbalance, and and finding ways to fund that is is not easy. Um, I know lots of lots of players coaching on the side. Me myself, I'm I'm at Loughborough doing like the task player coach, uh, which is helping me fund it at the moment. Um, but 
it will it will open so many doors for us like just the the ability to have a coach on the road um i mean that week that you saw barry was was the first week he traveled with me since leaving university um and and having the ability to to get better while the we're first on the first day the first day that he traveled with you let's not call it a week <laughs> first day that is true uh, he actually arrived after the practice as well so i was already foot in an ice bucket when when he saw me but um yeah just like those little things and and even if it's not the the specific things that you can now like afford to do i think having like ease of mind um it's it's not only tennis players that, that struggle with money and, and money's not an easy thing to struggle with because when you don't have it, you always wonder where it's going to come from. Um, so so having a little bit maybe saved up will, will, will definitely take some pressure off for me and, and know that I can do what I need to do and, and leave no stones unturned in, in the coming year, basically. But what, to get back to the word resilience, what has kept you going? Why? Like, why would you? You know, because people listening again are going, well, how old, so how old are you, Julian? 24, 5? 25, yeah. Yeah. So you've gone through lots of injuries. You've got your college degree. You're not making any money. Why bother? You're selling me well here, Dan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that is a good question. I mean, it's multiple things. Um, my love for the game is, is the bottom line. Uh, I, I did see myself having a career in tennis from a young age and, and I never lost sight of that. Big part of why I didn't lose sight of that is the team around me. My family's been hugely supportive from the start. Obviously, Barry as well. I've, I've had good coaches leading into college and then started working with Barry through college. Um, always having people to rely on to guide me through it. Um, you know, like through the injuries, I, I almost quit twice. I almost quit after my freshman year. Um, I, I didn't have best experience there part of it was injury and part of it was was the the support team I had at the university and then kind of got through that and then had a shoulder operation my senior year and, and Baz actually came out to to visit me in the states I just started hitting again after about six months and kind of put me through the paces like forced me to start serving harder when I basically was scared to do so um and just like having people to lean on you know those those small connections just Giving people almost the freedom to, to be honest with you has helped me go along. But but yeah, underwriting all of it is just my love for the game and, and I would do anything to to stay in the game. And those moments, honestly, have, have given me a lot of perspective too. Um, like after my shoulder operation, I was stood there serving, thinking that I'm not even going to be able to be an average coach. So always being able to go back to those moments and then, having gratitude now for, for actually where I am and even the fact that I can step on a court. Um, I know that sounds extremely dramatic, but that was a place I was once in. Um, so it, it massively... Well, it's it puts you in a good place now, though. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's those, those dark moments give you a lot, of, a lot of perspective and a lot of drive to, to keep pushing on, you know? Go and give your dog a bone. And I'm going to move on to you, Henry, because... Again, if I was listening to this, and we we are celebrating US college, UK universities, you know, going into playing your first Wimbledon, but you're all playing doubles. And I think that nobody can deny that the college route is an exceptional route to being a professional doubles player. You know, the, the facts don't lie. You know, we see it time and time and time and time again. 
but the buy-in's not there that it's that it's fully there for you to be a singles player. What's your take on that? Well, I, I think a big difference with, with playing in college is a, a lot more emphasis is placed on doubles. Um, I mean, that's how it was for me, at least. Obviously, obviously, with Tom, he was a great doubles player. He he probably prefers doubles over singles. Um, so that's a big difference. And I, I think if if you get kind of the very very top juniors that that, that aren't going to college those are the ones that are most likely to succeed in singles. Um, now, that's not to kind of say that, that singles in college isn't very important. Obviously, it's, ex- it's extremely important, more important than doubles. You know, more points in a dual match are are singles. But, I mean, I really learned how to play doubles in, in college 100%. Um, I learned all of the patterns, all of the foundations that, that have kind of allowed me to get here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I don't really know the answer. The Are answer. you quitting singles if you go to college, Sarah? No, I think it just, it's kind of like, I, I played singles when I came out and I was relatively successful. I got to 199, but then I had a shoulder injury. And at that point I was 27 and my body was starting to break down a little bit. So for me, the natural move, if I wanted to be successful was to become a double specialist, but I think this year at Wimbledon, there's there's 21 former college players in the main draw, which is still a pretty amazing stat. If you were to look at college as a country, then that's a pretty good stat as well. 21, the doubles must be at least double that because we know how good all the double specialists are. So I think I think people just have to see it as another kind of pathway and that if if you're not quite ready at 18 to go pro and you and you can't be successful within those first two years or you don't have a you don't have half a million pounds in your bank account to really pay for it because that's what you need then you have to find other ways to get around that kind of first major hurdle but I don't know they don't do uh, not percent credit cards anymore do they that's what I kind of lived off when I was the egg card (laughs) the egg credit card that's I just kept juggling things until I made enough money. I guess bring you in now because you're you're still current. You're like a twelfth year senior or something, but you're still current. To, <laughs> you're still current to US college. As I've reflected on my tennis playing, and I think as human beings, we're we're guilty of this. We're guilty of achieving what we maybe set out to achieve, but we're also guilty of setting ceilings. And, and we quite often role model, we mirror, you know, we see what's going on. So US college, I remember like when I was 21, going, oh, well, I can be a doubles player because this person's been a doubles player and this person's been a doubles player. And then from that same college, then Ken Skupski, then Neil Skupski, you know, James Kluski, it became like, but our head coach was top 20 in the world in doubles. So, so that, was, that was very attainable. I guess the point I'm trying to make, and I'm going to throw it to you, Nell, is is the same level of belief there that you can go to US College, UK University and come out of it as a singles player? I think um, for a little while, especially for me, at my first university, the belief, it it disappeared uh, a lot due to many things that happened. Uh, When I transferred to state, it kind of just 
opened up doors really I mean if you told me five months ago like my game would be like it is now I would have laughed in your face probably to be in all honesty um but I think like looking at where the place that I have now like the possibilities that you can go into college and come out as a singles player are endless like truly we had two seniors who I never met they were on the team before me Anna Rogers and uh <laughs> Adriana oh no (laughs) and Adriana I mean them two have gone out and played singles I mean one of them won a 15k one is I think currently in a quarter or a semi of a 25 um I mean I know a lot of the Texas girls like Lulu's son I think played the Wimbledon qualifying both the Vandy girls qualified Astra Sharma qualified for Wimbledon so I think all in all everyone becomes a very good doubles player. I do think that because it is a big doubles part. Like if you go on the court in your match and you're already one nil down, everyone gets really, really tense for a little bit. But I think there's a massive opportunity if your coach allows you to develop the singles to come out and, and try what you've got. I, I want to move us to, to Wimbledon 2022. And this is the time where you give your predictions. I'm not going to ask for doubles predictions. I don't want you going against yourselves. But I am going to ask about singles. So start thinking who your picks are for, for winning Wimbledon 2022. <clears throat> but my first question, I'm going to throw it to Alicia first. Who are some of the names? So somebody's listening to this that isn't a tennis nerd. They don't follow all of the accounts they don't have resultina know all of the names you know they they just know the names that are thrown at us the ones that are on the advertising boards the ones that are the top seeds give us a, a name or two and i'm going to come it to everybody of a name to watch in the women's draw and the men's draw not necessarily watch to win it but someone who's looking to go fourth round quarterfinals so we're looking for an underdog. An underdog. Um, well, big follower of tennis, aren't you, Barnett? I, I might go. This this is such a rogue one. I'm going to go with my heart. Oh God! I know what's coming here as well. You know what's coming, Lily Miyazaki. Yeah. Come on, we're going to bat Lily. Really? She's one of our really good friends, and she also went college college route. Um, she is British and has worked. She was playing in Sham at the start of last year in, in January in the 15K and has worked her way up and is just brilliant. And she, her game on grass is just amazing. Like she's got all the tools. So watch out for Lily Miyazaki. Um, she's brilliant and such a down to earth girl. Um, I'll go with Jodie Burridge as well. She's had an amazing start on grass. Another Brit, of course. Um, really fiery on court. Massive serve. And has just had her first top 10 win last week against um, Bedosa. So she's doing really, Unbelievable really well. win. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Win. Well. So, so hopefully those girls just ride that confidence and it's that home grand slam. So, and we're fully backing them and obviously all the other Brits. But I hope that's a good enough answer for your underdogs. 
I wouldn't mind a couple on the men's side as well. The men's side. <sighs> okay, well, if we're going down the theme of Brits, um, Jack Draper is obviously doing incredibly well as well. And our favourite, Ryan Pennison. Oh, God, everyone's gone to college these days. He also went to college. <laughs> I think maybe that's a sign, people. Um, but Pen Penny is just brilliant. He's had an incredible season. Um, he's also just worked his way up and just got so much confidence. He's played so many matches. And going into it, I, I don't know about everyone else, but I thought he was probably not as suited to grasp but he's just had some incredible wins like this in the last build out uh, in the follow-up to Wimbledon so um, I'm backing those boys to do really well very good and Julian uh, I'm going for on the woman's side Caroline Garcia favorite woman to watch I love how she plays uh, I also think her game is really suited to the grass uh, I know she's actually had some injuries, but I think she uh, she'll be one to watch and is is really exciting. I watched her a couple of years ago at Wimby, as it happens, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Good match to get into, and she's got a good personality on the court. And then on the men's side, I'm going to go for Tommy Paul, uh, one of the younger one of the younger guys. Again, great. He's got a lot of charisma on the court. Big hitter, moves well, gets the crowd involved. Uh, he's not afraid of anyone. I'd say on any day he could take anyone out of any draw. Um, so I think he'll relish his time at Wimbledon and, and really make the most of it. Olivia? Um, well, I think in the women's, you have to say, given her streak over the grass court season, you have to give Haddad Meyer a mention. Um, she won what back-to-back -back 250s in the UK. and She's in incredible form at the moment on the grass so you have to say she's going into Wimbledon with a lot of confidence and yeah you have to say she's a real contender um men's is difficult to be honest I I don't think the men's is going to be as open in my opinion it's going to be one of the top four and you can put Berrettini in there as well with his grass court record but I don't see an underdog coming through in the men's personally what about Andy Murray? Andy Murray is always a contender because he his spirit and determination is just absolutely incredible. He's complete inspiration to all of us, I think. Um, yeah, I'd absolutely love to see him have a good run at Wimbledon. Fingers crossed his injury has settled down because um, it was great to see him back in a final of an ATP again. So... Yeah, I'd love to see Murray have a good run. Because he's an underdog. That's the that's the thing now, which is... Is he though? Is he an underdog? He's a, he's In my a, opinion, he's, he's not. He's 100% an underdog now. I mean, looking at his ranking, looking at his, his, his form over the last couple of years, obviously he's got a metal hip. You know, he's there's, there's nothing that says Andy Murray is one of the favourites at Wimbledon. So I think him going on a run... If Andy Murray makes quarterfinals or semifinals of Wimbledon, I think it's one of the greatest ever sporting achievements. Yeah, I agreed. Yeah, Henry? Um, on the women's side, I'm going to go with people I enjoy watching. So on the women's side, I'm going to go with uh, Kasek Kina. Um, I actually saw her play at Wimbledon a few years ago. And, uh, I have to stop you. Have I said a name? Have I, have I has, any, has anybody picked up 
the issue with the Kazakina pick. Too good. Yeah, there's quite a big one there, I think. Where's she ranked? Where is she ranked? Like 15? Not for the do of a ranking, more more nationality. Russian. Oh, she can't play. Oh, (laughs) Henry. How many many points are available, Henry? Oh, no. You you think I'm going to edit that out? I'm not. No, no, no. (laughs) Keep it in and we can all all comment on whose fault it is. (laughs) What What about the men, Henry? Medvedev? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. well, Olivia, you did say it's going to come from the top four, and the top, the top two, and the top two aren't playing. Never, never. Four very... seeds, top four seeds. <laughs> okay, because the, the, the digging top, myself out. <laughs> the top two players in the world aren't playing. So, Henry, let's pretend that didn't happen. What, what's your pick on the women's side? Um, well, in that case, I'm going to have to go for one of the Brits. I feel like that's that's a safe move after that blunder. Um, I, I'll go with Jody. Um, she's had some unbelievable wins in Eastbourne. Um, she's on an incredible run. I think her game suits the grass as well. She hits a big ball, so definitely, definitely watch Jody if you get the chance. Um, on the guy side, I was actually going to say Tommy Paul as well. Same as my doubles partner, on a great wavelength at the moment. Um, Super talented guy, but just for variety, I'll say uh, Van der Zandschulp. I hope I've pronounced that okay. Man after my own heart. He's a big guy, doesn't move particularly well, but I think he's fun to work. And he's playing in the event, which is... And he's, and he's pretty good at tennis, yeah. <laughs> and what about yourself, Nell? Um, I mean, I'll have to back my doubles partner, Sonny. I think I think she can do some damage in this tournament. She like doesn't to, lose, does she? What's that? No, no, really doesn't. Uh, and then does Serena count as an under underdog? Then I mean, she's like she's not played, so she has to be. I think Serena has to be an underdog. Yeah, whack them two in. Let them play quarterfinals. That'd be great fun to watch. Uh, and then the men's side. I'm not gonna lie. I had to look it up. Uh, probably <laughs> run rune the Danish oh, guy. Wow. <laughs> run, <laughs> how do you say his name? <laughs> Clearly, I've watched that much. The Danish guy got off to a great start to his grass foot season, like this week as well. So. Yeah, <laughs> the guy that lost to Ryan, absolutely. Hey, he's 28 in the world, he's had an unbelievable unbelievable last few months you know and I wouldn't put it past him to 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 perform on the big stage at Wimbledon as well and what what about you Sarah um I think for the women uh risky business Alison Risk she always goes through the draw quietly but does very well great game for grass I think Cameron Norrie might do well this year I have a feeling I think it's time hopefully Andy though I'd love for I'd love for Andy to go all the way through along with Serena, just to make me feel a bit, little bit younger. Are they going to play mixed doubles again this year, Andy and Serena? What's the word? We need to sign in, Dan. Do you think they'll let us in? Well, they didn't for about five years. No, maybe we missed them. That's <laughs> unbelievable. And then the year I stopped, you then got in the next year. I know, <laughs> Bean Bloomers got in. It was oh. We lost to Jamie Murray and Jankovic. And have you... Any anybody in this room 
that's that's partnering up for the mixed doubles together? Me and Liv are going to give it a go. If if we get in, we'll see if we get in. But but yeah, she supports Norwich. I support Ipswich, so it could be rough. <laughs> I didn't know you supported Ipswich. Yeah, I you thought didn't this tell me that when you asked me. <laughs> didn't you uh, seem grimace when you said Norwich? Yeah, no I good. didn't. I missed that. Are you driving by a chance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we can put that put that behind us. And moving now into your picks for the title. So I'm going to start with you, Sarah. What's what? Who's your who's your pick for the women's title and for the men's title? Oh god. Um, the men's. I'm just going to say Nadal. I feel it. When was the, when was the year when he had the marathon match with Federer and it went? 2008. I can. I'm feeling he's going to relive that. It would be incredible if he did. I mean, he he had an operation ten days ago. Yeah, he seems to be. He's playing, I guess. You guys have seen him at the practice courts. He's he's out there. He's he looks. He, I think he beat Stan Varinka two and two in Hurlingham yesterday. So he seems like he's ready to play. Got a mere five hours practicing today. I saw, so I think he'll be all right. <laughs> Unbelievable, huh? And then I'm going to throw out a real one that people wouldn't think about. I think Danielle Collins, a former college player, Virginia. Sticking with your college roots. Yeah. What about you, Julian? Who's your pick? Men's side. Men's side, I'm going Berrettini. Uh, I think he's, I mean, obviously form would show that he's he's ready to go. He's also uh, just come back to the tour, but he's gone back-to-back titles and, and shows that his level on grass is is pretty scary and, and he can match those top guys. So I'm... Um, I'm going to go for him. If he could do the triple, that would be uh, pretty amazing. And on the women's side, it's tough to not go with Iga. Uh, I think she's uh, <laughs> pretty tough to beat. Doesn't seem to do many things wrong. I actually saw her hitting a little bit today and um, pretty scary what she can do on a tennis court. So yeah. I will be amazed if she wins. Well, I, I give her, better, although we're not allowed to do that. But yeah. I give her very little chance to win Wimbledon. I just, I, I just think, I think a forehand will get rushed, and she, she's not comfortable on grass. She doesn't, she doesn't necessarily like it. I think she's too early in her career. I'm sure she'll find a way, but I think her mentality is she's unbelievably good on clay, and she is. But I, I just think she gets exposed on a grass court. I think we saw Ons Jaber take her apart only 12 months ago. I think there's there's players that will will rush her and put her in positions that she's not used to being in. And if she does win it, we're talking about someone who can go on and win 15, 20 grand slams. Because that that would be absolute domination if she if she wins it with Mother as well. So my my feeling is not, but hey, I've this is what it's about. It's about giving our opinions. So uh, it'll be it'll be inter- interesting to see how it, how it unfolds. And what about you, Nell? Who's, who's our winner? For uh, so the men's side, Alcaraz. I could just see him just turning up and just duffing people. To be honest, just going for it. He's got well, he's got some stuff to lose, but not as much as some of the others up there. And then. 
the women's side, Pliskova, she hits the ball so hard. And on grass, I mean, if she's on, good luck. And if she's off, she's hitting four double faults in a game. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one, but hopefully she's on. <laughs> Henry, if you, it's your chance here to, to make up, make up for your horrendous blunder. <laughs> we are not going to get into the political situation today. Yeah. I, I managed to do that with Kieran Volster with the French Open, French Open preview and review that we did. Um, who's, who's your winner on the men's side and then the women's side? Um, well, I, I saw Rafa hitting today, um, who definitely before the tournament wouldn't have been a pick for me, but he was kind of bouncing around the court like a kangaroo. I mean, he was, it was unbelievable. He was supposed to be injured. And he was hitting with Berrettini, and I thought he was looking like the stronger player. So I'm going to say Rafa for the guys. Um, and I'm going to have to go with Sviatek for the women as well. I just don't see who's going to who's gonna beat her. Plus, I want to go against you, Dan. So that was that was why. Uh, this, this, this WhatsApp group's going to be flying. This <laughs> <laughs> is first round. <laughs> could, be, could be tough. Who's not picked? Olivia. Um, I'm going to go Berrettini. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see him win his first slam on good grass court form this this summer. Um, so yeah, that's my pick for the men. Women, I agree with you, Dan. I don't see Sviatek winning Wimbledon. Someone said to me, oh, yeah, but she won juniors. And I was like, yeah, but it's not seniors, is it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I think all the reasons you said that she might get found out and she even says it openly herself that she doesn't feel like she's completely figured out how to play on grass yet. Um, so I'm going to go with someone who's won it before, comfortable on the grass, in reasonable form. I'm going to say Kvitova for the women. Alicia? It's tough. Um, thing is, with the women's, it's so open. Um, I kind of agree with you about Shriatak, like, I feel like her movement is more suited to clay and obviously she was taking players apart, but on grass, she might get found out a bit more um, and overpowered a little bit, but I don't know. I, I think she is just an amazing player and maybe she'll continue her streak here. So maybe I'll back her, but I do think it's Danielle Collins. Like I think I kind of back her as well. Like watching her in Australia, just, she is just an athlete. Like she just has sheer gut and determination. So I feel like she could probably back it up on the grass. And then Garatini. I mean, I mean, we, we all want to watch as many matches as possible of his anyway. So let's just hope he has <laughs> plenty to play. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's all of us as well. That's that's that doesn't matter. Doesn't it doesn't matter who you like. You, he's he's got something very charming about him as well. But he, I'm amazed that such intelligent tennis players have got it wrong, completely wrong. Like, <laughs> like how, how have six of you not mentioned Novak Djokovic, the winner of the men's hey? Wimbledon 20, 2022? The, the, the clear winner. Like, that, so Novak Djokovic, I think, will walk through Wimbledon this year. Berrettini can't beat him. Because Djokovic just gets the ball on his backhand and it's game over. You know, uh, Berrettini's already come out and said Novak Djokovic is almost impossible to beat. So 
sorry to tell you all that you're wrong, but you are on 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 the men's side. So we'll we'll see on that. On the women's side, I haven't said anybody yet. So I'm going to give you three names. That's One cheating. Of, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't give my underdogs. They all could be underdogs as well, but I think Anshubur. I'm worried because she was my pick, but she pulled out of Eastbourne singles and also she pulled out the doubles today. So oh. she's obviously not a hundred percent. If she is, she is unbelievable on a grass court. Like her timing, her touch. I, I, I really think she could be a, a big, big one to watch. And Drisku, for me, a couple of years ago, I picked her as being the world number one for the next few years. She's gone a little bit off the boil since the injury. Um, so I think she's she's my second name. And the third one that I pick, and I will keep picking her until she wins a Grand Slam, because I believe she will, and I believe she'll win multiple once she does, is Anissa Mova. I think once she finds a way of believing in herself, I, I can't see many players. I think she's one of the only players on a hard court and possibly on a clay court that can hit through a Sviantec. And, and she's a one of, she, she's obviously got a couple of mental things that go on, but once she gets over that barrier. So those three, if I was to pick one, if she was fit, I'd say Jabir. If she's not fit, then I'll say Andrisku. Um, but I think, I think the women's event is, is going to be spectacular. I have to ask you, and please put your hand up if you want to answer this, because I know there's a few voices. Uh, can Emma Raducanu, we haven't mentioned her, you know, can Emma Raducanu do it at Wimbledon this year? Obviously being very difficult, very challenging for her since she won the US Open, but she gets hot over a couple of matches. She's someone that not many players will want to come across. Well, she's got Jada Donahue helping her, so you never know. Henry, you want to take this one? Yeah, I, th- I think she she can, but I don't think she will. Um, I, <laughs> um, obviously, she's unbelievably talented, has all the ability in the world, but I I, I don't see that she, her head is in the right place. Um, obviously, she's been struggling with injuries. I don't know if that is physical or mental or what it is, but obviously, she hasn't been putting together kind of strong performances week in, week out, um, and it's a little bit different to her. US Open run, I feel like there's there's obviously, whether she likes it or not, a lot more pressure on her now. So, I, I mean, obviously she can be anyone on her day and she might put together a few a few really good performances as we've seen her do, but I, I don't see her going all the way. Any inside information, Alicia? No, I just think she is incredible and she has the weight of the world on her and she went from being a very talented junior to having the whole world looking at her and she's she's dealt with it the really well like it's everyone's looking at her um I hope I, I think Jane is going to be there behind the scenes I know she's going to be a really massive support for her um whether she's on court or not on court with her whatever but I just hope that Emma goes out there and enjoys it because she's so young and she's got so many years like she's she can win bloody 15 more if she wants so she's she's so young so I think that's the main thing um I just hope that she goes out there and just 
puts it all out there and doesn't play like she's got any pressure because she doesn't at the end of the day she really doesn't she's at the top of the game she's got so many opportunities ahead of her so um I hope to see that she'll do well in the future but I mean there's no pressure on her whether she does well this year or next year or in 10 years but it's going to be like it's going to be like the Spice Girls at their height you know coming to play at Hyde Park or at Wembley Stadium because she she hasn't really had that homecoming yet since she's become such a global global superstar I mentioned this when we had the French Open review as well watching the Jubilee messages to the queen wasn't Andy Murray it was Emma Raducanu you know so she she has become such a not a sporting superstar she's become a, a superstar like you say overnight so for her coming back to the home of tennis you know her first match is gonna be on center court it's gonna be an absolute circus you know every back page and probably front page of every newspaper leading up to Wimbledon is going to be Emma Raducanu. It's it's going to be a massive thing for her to, for her to take on, you know, and I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I love what you said. I hope she can enjoy it. You know, if she can if she can get into the mindset of absolutely embracing it, which we know she has because she's shown that incredible mental strength last year at Wimbledon and then moving into the US Open. But it is going to be one of the stories. I think it would have been wrong for us not to mention her in, in, in this episode because it's arguably going to be the biggest story of Wimbledon. Wimbledon this year, once it all settles down from people talking about the political situation as well. Now, you guys have been amazing. Thank you for, for your time. You know, I know you've, you know, you've got to go and have your Wimbledon breakfast and start spending your £87 as soon as you can get there tomorrow. Uh, but no, getting your minds in, in the right place for, for this incredible achievement that you've all had. But we never have a podcast on Control the Controllables without a quick fire round. Now, our quick fire round tonight is a Wimbledon quiz. Oh, no. Oh, God. We're all for the Simons, you know that, right? It's a Wimbledon Wimbledon quiz. Okay, can we pass? Yeah, can we just put, I don't know? You absolutely can. (laughs) I will show you all up if you do, but you can. Ready. What number Wimbledon event is this? How many years has Wimbledon been happening? Where's that book when you need it? Henry, oh. go to Henry. I said 150. 150? Oh. Yeah, that's too high. Olivia? I put 125. I know it's 100 <laughs> years of centre court, but I don't know how long. So it's in, it's in between 150 and 125, <laughs> but it's 135. Oh, so, awesome. what, so that's one point to Olivia. Yes, closest. How many years has Wimbledon been happening on its current site on Church Road? (laughs) Julian? 115 years. Sarah? 112. Nell? 95. Olivia? 100. She told you all. She told, she told you all in the previous uh, question. 
She said, I know it's been a hundred years since uh-huh. I come. <laughs> and you've still all got it wrong. But well, Olivia's got it right. So two two points to Olivia. This is good. Olivia, well done. I mean, Thank you. this is this is gonna be smart. Get her on the pub quiz team. Seriously. <laughs> I've I've put the same answer twice, so <laughs> <laughs> I've just gone C all round C. Sorry. Something will be 95 at some point now. Keep going. <laughs> what? What is the capacity of the grounds at Wimbledon during the championship? This isn't 95 people now. Is it 95,000? <laughs> no. Oh, no. No idea. I'm going to have to put you on a counter. Now? 195,000. Uh, 195,000. And that was low. Oh, it's low. Oh, well, oh. That's what she said. I don't know. Oh. Sarah Borwell. Well, I think I shanked it a bit. I went forty thousand, but that's probably just in centre court. <laughs> you sh- you, sh- you shanked it because you were two thousand away. It's no. forty-two thousand. What? One point to Sarah Borwell. Yeah, nice. Got to have some confidence in your answer. I'm feeling good now. Thanks. I thought there was thought forty thousand security guards there. To be honest. <laughs> Plus the IBM team. That's that's at the dog and fox. They've got all of those. (laughs) When was the last year? So Roger Federer is missing the 2022 Wimbledon. What was the last year where we had a Wimbledon without Roger Federer? Sarah? 2021? That would be a really clever answer. Thanks. If if that's what I meant. You allow it? So I'm so I'm gonna give you half a point for the clever answer. Oh, thank the, you. But Olivia. 2015. Nowhere near. I just wanted you to get one wrong. Oh, <laughs> Henry. Uh, 97. The closest by a long way, 1999 oh, was the last was the last Wimbledon without Roger Federer. So wow. so one point to Henry. That's a fun fact. Two more questions, and Olivia's in the front with two points. As Olivia told us earlier t- t- today in our conversation, there's two of the top seeds in the men's event that aren't, play- <laughs> that aren't playing the event. The number one and number two in the world are not playing the, the men's event. When was the last time that that happened at Wimbledon? Trick question. No years. Is that your final answer? <laughs> I've just put a random <laughs> figure. 2021. Yeah, no, absolutely mental. Henry? 20- I don't want to say my answer, Dan. <laughs> I'm just, you know. 1923, Henry? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think any of you are close enough for me to give you this, but let me see. Let me just... If it's anything with 95. <laughs> One answer I didn't put. Julian? 1995, I've gone for. And Julian is the closest. I don't believe it. (laughs) Oh, no. You loved it. But not that close, because it was 1973. So he was 22 years away, but he still took it. So Julian's got a point. 1986, I put. Isn't that closer? 
Sarah's, Sarah's the closest. Steals a point off. Steals a point off Julian. So is that your second point? I think I'm two and a half points now. So you're currently winning on two and a half points. The, la the last question. How many points will you get if you win the Wimbledon doubles title <laughs> this year? <laughs> Absolutely oh, zero. I thought we weren't going into the politics, Dan. Imagine Absolute the scenes, listen. <laughs> win Wimbledon and still outside top 100. <laughs> Come on. Nell, Nell's got an answer. 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> this girl's living under a rock. The worst yeah, answer. Money you can take if you're on QI right now, the buzzer would be going. Henry, Henry, how many points? That's a big fat zero, Dan. So I think you, everybody but Nell scores a point. So my last... Well, <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah Borwell is our champion with 3.5 points. Oh, so I'm proud. A little round of applause for Sarah. Thank you, everyone. Some good guesses. My last, last, last question. As tennis players, professional tennis players, does that have any influence on you or the tennis world? about playing the event, Alicia? Absolutely not. It's, it's a grand slam. We've just been walking around the grounds with without the competition going on, and it's just such an amazing feeling. Um, I wasn't kidding about Liv moving into Wimbledon. She's got a suitcase ready. Like it's, it's just an amazing feeling, and especially for us, like, British players, like, playing in front of our friends and family, it's just... Nothing like it. I mean, we haven't even played yet and I'm excited. Um, but I mean, look at the spectators. They have no idea how many points we're getting or what, whether it's going to boost our ranking or not. Like that has nothing to do with it. We have no idea about the golf masters. So why would that affect anything? It's still going to be really competitive and we play tennis because we love it, like Julian said earlier. So I don't think, especially for us, like it, really means too much 42,000 people will be there watching they don't care of course however the word is I wasn't at Roehampton but the word is that there was a significant number of people that turned up didn't really prepare or necessarily give their best efforts in the first round of qualies you know picked up their paycheck at what, you know, what, what do you get for first round qualifying these days 11 yeah, so so this could be good news for you guys because you would think there might be some people that are going to do that in the singles and the doubles, you know, and I think it's not necessarily good for our sport, but by the time we get to the second round, the third round, and people start dreaming about the possibility of lifting the trophy of whatever event they're in, I'm sure that will all, all disappear, you know, and obviously you guys as Brits, this it's the first time it shouldn't have any cloud over it we could be speaking in a couple of weeks to one of you as Wimbledon champion the year that it was an exhibition but again I don't think it will mean any less to you in that moment when you reflect on it I think the nice thing as well you've you've all worked so hard to get there on very small budgets, this sets you up for the next two, three, four years of your career. So this is the first Wimbledon, but it's going to springboard you to the next level because you can do things well now because you have 
well, I don't know what the, the first round is for doubles, but even back in the day, it set me up for the next year or so to keep me going. So that's what's exciting about it all. My, my final thing to say is big congratulations to you all. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that you won't even realise that are supporting you guys. There's a lot of people that are unbelievably proud of you guys, inspired by what you're doing. You know, all of your stories are incredible. Don't be satisfied. Go out there, you know, have your bunny day. Get your heads down. Go and, go and rock it. Go and win as many matches as you can. Go and make a name for yourself. Go and set your careers up even more. And thank you for giving us the time. I'm sure all the listeners have absolutely loved getting to know you guys a little bit more. As listeners, get out there. Show your support, whatever court these guys are on. You know, shout from the rooftops. And all the very best to you all. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Good luck, everyone. Good luck, everyone. Good luck. And I have to start by saying a big good luck to all of the panellists. You know, I'm sure, like we said in the episode, that they're ready. You know, they've had the results. They've earned their right to be on that stage. And I'm sure they will go out there and express themselves. Just as we talked about with Jack Draper only last week, you know, British tennis is in a great place. The culture is changing. The singles results in round one, a testament to that. And I wish everyone and all competitors, all coaches, all staff members at Wimbledon, an amazing two weeks. It's, it's a special place for me and for Vicky. It's where we met all of those years ago as we were working for IBM doing the match stats and it's it's a truly magical place and as I often say to people make sure you keep your eyes open make sure you keep your best smile because you never know what might happen you might come away with a wife from the event Vicky's not even here today to stick up for herself but moving on to the tennis and the predictions I can't believe none of them went for Novak Djokovic and since we spoke a couple of days ago Berrettini has been removed from the draw with his positive COVID test. And it leads us, could we get the Djokovic-Nadal final that I think we all would love to see? Or is it time for one of the youngsters to come through? I find it hard to believe that Alcaraz can do it yet on a grass court. You know, is it going to be a surprise? Is someone like Cameron Norrie going to sneak up, you know, he's he knows what he's doing on a grass court, he's number 11 in the world, I can really see Cameron making a great run throughout the event, and on the women's side, every time I look at the draw, I think, well, anybody, there's so many players that can come out of that draw, it's going to be a really exciting one, I know I went quite strongly against Iga, she makes a habit of proving things wrong, so let's see how she goes. Our relationship with Eager at the Academy, I would, of course, love to see her do it. But it's hard to believe that she can dominate women's tennis so much, especially on a grass court. Ange Jaber is the one, I think, to watch. You know, she keeps herself, keeps herself healthy. She really has some incredible skills. She's come for a first-round match. But I, I expect to see lots of upsets, lots of matches, that we don't know 
which way it's going to go on the women's side. And I fully expect an amazing two weeks ahead. So enjoy. I am gutted not to be there whenever Wimbledon comes around. And if I'm not there as a coach, a player, which is well gone now, or even as a supporter, it really does make me sad. But I will be trying to watch today at Wimbledon at the end of our long days at the academy and keeping up with it as much as I can. But eat lots of strawberries, drink lots of pims, and have an amazing couple of weeks. But until next time, we'll be back next week. I'm Dan Keenan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>